Welcome to Defiant Health Radio, a place where you can count on hearing about the truth in health, uncolored by interests of big pharma, the generally misplaced motivations of healthcare and doctors, just ideas and strategies that work safely, effectively, and inexpensively. I'm your host, Dr. William Davis, cardiologist and author of the Wheat Belly and Undoctored books, and now my newest book, Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight. In Supergut, I discussed two major topics. One, we have lost microbes that performed important functions for our health. And two, in their place, unhealthy, mostly stool microbes have proliferated. I therefore show you how to correct these situations, including how to cultivate specific bacterial species, such as my favorite, Lactobacillus rotari, that, when replaced, achieves extraordinary benefits that includes having increased empathy for other people, being able to understand another person's point of view better. Ladies love it because it smooths skin wrinkles, also deepens sleep, and restores youthful muscle and strength. That's just one microbe. I show you how to restore this and other microbes lost from the human microbiome to yield other benefits such as shrinking your waist circumference, reducing arthritis pain, accelerating recovery from strenuous work or exercise, improving the health of your baby and children. I also detail how you can take steps to push back the overgrowth of unhealthy bacteria using various easy-to-put-to-use strategies. No book before Supergut has provided the detail on practical, actionable strategies that you can put to work to obtain the results you desire. You'll find Supergut just about anywhere they sell books. I call this episode of Define Health SIBO Yogurt because I believe that I may have found a simple solution for many cases of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO. As I discuss in my new Supergut book, SIBO is now an epidemic across the U.S. Just think, incredibly, about one in four Americans have fatty liver, and about half of these people have SIBO also. This condition alone means that something like 40 million Americans have SIBO based on fatty liver alone. Toss in other conditions like type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, obesity, autoimmune conditions, irritable bowel syndrome, and many others, a substantial portion of whom also have SIBO, and you can get a sense of the enormity of this situation with substantial implications for long-term health. In this episode of Defiant Health, I propose that there may be a surprisingly easy solution for many people that you can apply in the comfort of your kitchen. Later in the podcast, let's talk about Defiant Health's sponsor, Paleo Valley. Their fermented grass-fed beef sticks, bone broth protein, rich in collagen, organic super greens, and low-carb superfood bars have among the cleanest ingredient lists in the industry. And of course, they're delicious. For those of you who are new to this conversation, let me describe what SIBO means. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, just like its name suggests, it means that bacteria, especially unhealthy, undesirable stool species, have proliferated, outmuscled healthy species, and then remarkably ascended up into the small bowel. So microbes, bacteria, are meant to be in the colon. But in this condition, SIBO, these microbes, but especially microbes like E. coli, Klebsiella, Salmonella, 
have ascended into the 24 feet of small bowel. Now, the small bowel is poorly equipped to tolerate these microbes because while the colon, where bacteria belong in high numbers, the colon has a two-layer thick mucus barrier against these bacteria as well as against the contents of the intestines. Well, the small bowel has only a much more fragile single-layer mucus barrier that is easily breached by these unhealthy microbes. So, 24 feet of microbes in the small bowel plus the 4 or 5 feet of colon adds up to 30 feet of trillions of microbes. Now, these microbes don't live for decades, right? They live for only minutes to hours. So these trillions of microbes are turning over rapidly. What happens to their breakdown products when they die? Well, some of it gets into the bloodstream, and that is a very important process called endotoxemia. For years, many of us suspected that there was a phenomenon called gut leak that was responsible for many health issues like autoimmune diseases and inflammation. Well, it's finally been validated by a Belgian group and has been uh, since been further explored and validated by other groups. This is called endotoxemia. That is the entry of bacterial breakdown products into the bloodstream. So not only does SIBO inflame the intestinal lining, small bowel and colon, but it also has consequences for the rest of the body. And this is how SIBO, a gastrointestinal process overgrowth of bacteria, can be experienced in other parts of the body, such as the skin, where it can be experienced as rosacea or psoriasis, in the brain as depression, or as Alzheimer's dementia or Parkinson's disease, or in the muscle and joints as fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis or restless leg syndrome. In fact, I propose that virtually all common chronic modern conditions that are managed in modern healthcare by drugs really need to be reassessed, re-examined in light of this finding, because so many diseases are either initiated or at least worsened by the process of SIBO and its accompanying endotoxemia. So how common is SIBO? I think it's exceptionally common. You know, I was guilty of thinking that SIBO was an uncommon condition. In my undoctored book from 2015, for instance, I suggested that SIBO was an uncommon condition, even though dysbiosis, that is, disrupted bowel flora composition confined to the colon is very common. I thought back then that SIBO was uncommon. But then something happened. This device, this home testing device called the AIR device, A-I-R-E, I'll put details of this down in the show notes, the AIR device came out made by a company called Food Marble, invented by a, an Irish engineer, a PhD engineer, Dr. Angus Short, and he invented it to help his then-fiancé, now wife, deal with her irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. He saw that she was asked to follow a low FODMAPS diet, that is a low-fiber, low-sugar diet, which has been shown to reduce symptoms of bloating and diarrhea in people with IBS. But he saw how much trouble she had, and that foods got through, and she'd have to suffer through bloating and diarrhea and other symptoms. So he invented this device to help her measure hydrogen gas in the breath, because when you're exposed to foods you can't digest or have difficulty digesting or bacteria digest, you release hydrogen gas. Well, I get hold of the device, the air device, and it became clear to me right away it was not just for people with IBS and FODMAPs intolerance. This was a device that could be used to map out where in the GI tract, in those 30 feet, where microbes were living. 
Are they in, only in the colon, way down, 24 feet? Or are they in the small bowel, just beyond the esophagus? And this device, the air device, was also a way to navigate through food intolerances, not just to FODMAPs, but also to histamine-containing foods, nightshades, fructose-containing foods like fruit, and other food intolerances, telling us that food intolerances are really versions of SIBO. So the availability of the AIR device is a real game-changer for intestinal health. In fact, I would draw a parallel to the availability of finger-stick blood glucose checks that came out in the mid-1980s. You know, before that, all we had was urine dipsticks. Well, that was a real problem. Imagine you had a three-year-old playing outside, a type 1 diabetic child, who then lost consciousness. Is her blood sugar 900 and she's going to go into diabetic ketoacidosis and kidney failure in short order? Or is her blood sugar 50 and she's going to die of brain damage in the next few minutes? Do you dip her urine? Well, you can see how difficult that was. So having a finger stick was a great improvement. You know, it wasn't that long ago that people diagnosed with type 1 diabetes would end up with kidney failure, blindness, and amputations even in their 20s. Well, prognoses have improved dramatically with the precision provided for insulin dosing and other medication with finger stick glucose. So the game-changing nature of finger stick glucoses, I think, is the same kind of game-changing nature that the air device brings to intestinal health. It's going to change how we view intestinal health, in fact, and many aspects of health. The Defiant Health Podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley, makers of delicious grass-fed beef sticks, healthy snack bars, and other terrific products. We are very picky around here and insist that any product we consider has no junk ingredients like maltodextrin, carrageenan, carboxymethylcellulose, sucralose, and of course, no added sugars. And all Paleo Valley products contain no gluten nor grains. In fact, I find Paleo Valley products among the cleanest of any in their category, and they're truly delicious. One of the habits I urge everyone to get into is to include a fermented food product at least once, if not several times per day in their lifestyles. Unlike nearly all other beef sticks available, Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are all naturally fermented, meaning they contain probiotic bacterial species. And if, like most people, you don't have the time to make batches of bone broths or soups every week or every day, Paleo Valley has an excellent grass-fed bone broth protein powder that packs 15 grams of collagen per scoop for skin and joint health, while providing the health benefits of bone broth. Shipping is free for orders of $75 or more. For more information or to order, go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O. V-A-L-L-E-Y dot com. Enter the discount code DEFIANT, not case sensitive, for a 15% discount to Defiant Health listeners. The web address is also listed in the Defiant Health show notes that accompany this podcast. And be sure to take a look at their other products, such as their organic super greens, rich with phytonutrients, and their superfood bars that come in dark chocolate chip, apple cinnamon, and lemon meringue. They're low-carb, of course, with 8 grams net carbs per bar. Now, you don't need to get the air device to succeed in managing your SIBO, but it can be helpful if you're unsure 
or can be helpful to assess for recurrences. One of the difficulties with recurrences of SIBO after you eradicate it is that it can come back with a different kind of symptom profile. So even if you start, say, with bloating and diarrhea from irritable bowel syndrome, you eradicate the SIBO, your irritable bowel syndrome symptoms improve, but then maybe six months later, you suffer an anxiety attack. And you want to know, is that SIBO? Well, you could guess, or you could use their air device to test for hydrogen gas. Now, unfortunately, if you buy the air device, you can't rely on the instructions provided because it still uh, reads as if you have irritable bowel syndrome and you're going to navigate a low FODMAPS diet. So I provide full details in my super gut book, seven pages of detailed instructions. Very simple, by the way. Don't get overwhelmed by this. But it tells you in detail, step by step, how to use the device, not just for IBS and FODMAPs, but for other food intolerances, how to know how timing the device tells you where in the GI tract your microbes are located, and how to interpret the values. Very simple, but it's in the super gut book. Now, how common is SIBO? It is exceptionally common. For instance, if we took the people with fatty liver, there are about 75, 80 million people in the U.S. with fatty liver. And we know that about 50% of them have SIBO. Well, that alone is about, what, 40 million people. What if we took the people with irritable bowel syndrome? There's about 60 to 70 million Americans with, with uh, irritable bowel syndrome, of whom roughly 40% have SIBO. Well, that's another 25 to 30 million people with SIBO. If we take the people who are obese or overweight, Another, depending on which study you look at, 25 to 50% of those people have SIBO. So we're going to add another 18 to 35 million people who have SIBO. We can keep on going. Add up the number with fibromyalgia who have SIBO, the number of people with type 2 diabetes with SIBO, the number of people with autoimmune disease. Many of these people, large proportion of them have SIBO. Add it all up, we easily surpass 100 million Americans who have SIBO, one in three Americans. I actually think it's worse than that. I think it's more like 150, 180 million Americans have it. And I wouldn't have thought so until I saw just how many people test positive with the air device. Whereas I used to think it was an un uncommon condition, I now see it is everywhere. And it's actually the uncommon person who tests negative. Now, you could question the validity of the test, except that this is how I'm seeing it play out. Somebody has a residual health problem, like a weight loss plateau, or they can't get their hemoglobin A1C below 5.6%, which is much better than a diabetic, but not ideal, which is 5.0% or less. Or somebody has blood pressure that won't come down, even though they've done everything else right, like wheat and grain elimination, restore magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, etc. And so when they correct the SIBO, they identify the SIBO, then correct it, and those residual health problems, more often than not, finally respond. So it was the missing link, the missing piece in many of the efforts in my programs. And so addressing SIBO can be a huge advantage to your health. Now, what happens if you ignore it? What if you say, you know, this is too complicated, too scary, I, I can't be bothered. Or I'll live with my food intolerances, or I'll live with my weight loss plateau, or I'll live with my autoimmune condition. I think that's foolhardy because the consequences of SIBO and endotoxemia don't stop at that one thing. So if you have SIBO, 30 feet of overproliferated microbes inhabiting the entire gastrointestinal tract, it can over time lead to inflammation of the colon, colitis, the small bowel, Crohn's disease, to gastric cancer, to intestinal cancers, 
to autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. It can lead to depression. That's a big one, by the way. The endotoxemia of SIBO is known to cause depression. Other neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's dementia and numerous other health conditions. So it's very unwise to bury your head in the sand over this question of SIBO and endotoxemia. It's so common, in fact, that it's my view that everybody should be screened for this process, that all doctors should be, you know, rather than screen people with colonoscopy for early detection of cancer, why aren't they talking to us about our bowel floor composition so that you can take steps decades before colon cancer even becomes a possibility. I think that makes much more rational sense. I think that'll be happening in the future, though it will take time because we have to have the current crop of doctors educated. And as you know, they're about 18 to 20 years behind the times. Now, this Defiant Health episode is really about a new option I believe you have. This is based on preliminary evidence, just anecdotal evidence, but it's been proving so consistent that I thought I'd have to tell you about it. Well, what are the options? Let's say you identify SIBO with the air device. You blow high values of hydrogen gas, or perhaps you have a lot of food intolerances, and so you know you have SIBO. Those, that's, that's essentially synonymous with SIBO. Or you have health conditions that are likewise either very uh, highly associated with SIBO or virtually synonymous with SIBO. These are conditions like fibromyalgia, restless leg syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, any autoimmune condition, any neurodegenerative condition, or maybe you're in that small minority of people in whom the doctor diagnosed the SIBO. Well, what do you do about it? Well, if you go to a doctor who knows something about SIBO, there are a few. There aren't many, but there are a few. He or she will likely hand you a prescription for a drug called Rifaxin or Zyfaxin. It's very expensive. It's about $1,200. It's not covered by insurance. And it's about 50% effective. So it's not very effective. Sadly, most doctors will not tell you how you got the SIBO how to increase the efficacy. There are things you can do to increase the efficacy and the steps you should take to prevent recurrences. Recurrences are essentially the rule with SIBO. You eradicate it, but it comes back, it comes back, it comes back. And so what most doctors do is write you repeated prescriptions for rifaximin over and over and over again, not addressing why this might be happening. So that's one option. Another option, and one that I discussed in the Super Gut book, is herbal antibiotics. Now, I was skeptical that herbal antibiotics work because they're kind of concocted haphazardly by choosing this or that herb or other uh, component for its effectiveness against certain microbes. And then they're kind of just haphazardly combined. But a study came out comparing two herbal regimens, the candibactin AR and BR regimen and the FC-cidal and dysbiocide regimen. Uh, this will also be in the show notes below and compared it to rifaximin, the conventional antibiotic. And lo and behold, to everyone's surprise, the herbal antibiotics did as well as, and actually better than, rifaximin. And the people who failed on rifaximin were successfully treated with the herbal antibiotics. So I went through a couple of years where we used these herbal antibiotics, and they worked pretty well. They weren't 100% effective, but more on the order of about 60 to 70% effective, so quite effective. But then something struck me. If you take a commercial probiotic for SIBO, will it respond to the probiotic? No, 
rarely would go away just with a commercial probiotic. But that shouldn't come as any surprise because commercial probiotics are not crafted for the purpose of eradicating SIBO. Most commercial probiotics are haphazard collections of microbes, some of this, some of that, and just sold to you. But it's not concocted for SIBO. So I asked some different questions. I asked, what if we chose species that took up residence in the upper GI tract. That's where SIBO is, right? So let's choose microbes that take up long-term residence in the small bowel, the upper GI tract. Let's then also pick species and strains that produce what are called bacteriocins. These are natural peptide antibiotics produced by some species of bacteria and usually effective against the species of SIBO, effective against species like E. coli and Klebsiella, and Salmonella. I picked three. I picked a strain of Lactobacillus gasseri. I picked Lactobacillus rotori, and I picked Bacillus coagulans. The gasseri and the rotori in particular colonize the upper GI tract. The gasseri produces up to seven bactericins, so it's a bactericin powerhouse. The rotori produces up to four bactericins, including a very powerful one called reuterin, you know, I have a microbiologist friend who told me they'll sometimes use lactobacillus rotori to clean their production vats. So I was what? I was so surprised by that. I called up my microbiologist friend, Dr. Raul Cano, a microbiologist with a 40-year history of an academic career in microbiology. I said, Raul, does this sound right? Someone told me they could clean their bacterial fermentation vats with lactobacillus rotori. And Dr. Cano said, yeah, we, we often did that. That's how potent lactobacillus rotori is against pathogenic bacteria. So gasseri and rotori chosen for their upper GI colonizing effect and for their bacteriocin producing capacity. I also added a strain of bacillus coagulans. It does not take up residence in the upper GI tract, but it does produce a bacteriocin, and it has good evidence to show that it reduces the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, which is virtually synonymous, at least in most cases, with SIBO. So I chose those three species and strains. We co-ferment them as yogurt, and those of you who've been following these conversations know we use prolonged fermentation. We ferment for 36 hours to allow the bacteria to double numerous times and thereby yield hundreds of billions of counts, not like the four hours of commercial yogurt production where there's very little bacteria in the final end product. We're going to ferment for 36 hours so that when we count the microbes, we typically get something like 250, 260 billion counts per half cup serving. So we ferment this as yogurt, and by the way, the yogurt is delicious, and then we consume a half a cup. Even though we take the herbal antibiotics, we're taking them for about two weeks, we take the yogurt for four weeks. And that seems to, so far, have yielded negative hydrogen breath testing on the air device in about 90% of the 30 or so people who've done it. Now, this is preliminary, and it's anecdotal, so it's not a clinical trial. It's not proof. I'd like to conduct that clinical trial down the road sometime. We can't use yogurt, of course, when we do that in a clinical trial. We'll do the we'll do it as a probiotic so we can control the number of counts. But so far, in this preliminary experience, about 90% of 30 people have converted to hydrogen gas negative. Now, you know, if I were telling you that you need a frontal lobotomy or complete colon remo removal, colectomy, we should be damn sure of the diagnosis, right? And that the therapy is going to be effective. Well, so, so those obnoxious, very 
invasive therapies, you better be confident what you're doing. But when we're talking about something as benign as a yogurt, I don't think the bar is quite as high. So I'm now suggesting that people try this SIBO yogurt. The worst that can happen is that you waste four weeks and a few dollars getting the microbes. But so far, it seems to be working. Now, when you take an antibiotic of any sort, whether it's Rifaximin, one of the herbal antibiotic regimens, you can experience die-off. That is the effects of killing off microbes that you can experience as a low-grade fever, muscle aches, fatigue, depression. You, you may experience a softer version of that with this SIBO yogurt, which tells us that it is indeed killing off microbes. Now, there are steps you can take to blunt this effect. One thing we do is you can take something called activated charcoal, and there are some other steps you can take to blunt the die-off effect. If that's a concern, consult my super gut book, and I uh, explain in detail the steps you can take to reduce the die-off reaction. But you may experience it with the SIBO yogurt. So there you have it. I believe we have, in a preliminary anecdotal experience, a way to very easily eradicate, I think, SIBO in the comfort of your own home. Should you do this, please come back and report your experience. You can do so in my blog, my Dr. Davis, Dr. Davis Infinite Health blog, in the Facebook page attached to it, in my Instagram page for Supergut. Tell us what your experience is. Should this hold true? Should the SIBO yogurt be genuinely helpful? I think we're onto something very, very interesting. Now, in future, perhaps you come up with a better solution or a better formulation of yogurt. But so far, this combination of three microbes has been really doing the job. Now, if you've learned something from this Defiant Health podcast, please subscribe to this podcast through your favorite uh, podcast subscription service. Post a comment, post a review, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 